Welcome to another episode of the Reformation Roundtable podcast. My name is Joe Stout, and this podcast is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Lewis County, Washington. During each episode, you will discover the sermons, exhortations, discussions, and interviews from our various weekly gatherings. Christ Covenant Church is a historically reformed and evangelical church that has been serving the greater Centralia Chehalis area since May of 2021. We meet for worship each Lord's Day to sing psalms and hymns, confess our historic faith, hear the word faithfully proclaimed, and celebrate together the Lord's Supper. Throughout the week, we go out into the world to build the kingdom of Christ right here in Lewis County. If this sounds like a vision for you, we would love to have you join us. Head on over to lewiscounty.church, that is lewiscounty.church, where you will find a calendar of events as well as current times and locations for worship. Please enjoy the following audio. Let's begin this morning with a meditation. And our meditation and preparation for worship this morning comes from our lectionary reading in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 13. These are the very words of God. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example But they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to take, be able to endure it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, yet another week has passed in our appointed time on this earth, and we are again before you, the one not bound by time. Lord, your word shows us that in standing still apart from you, even for a moment, we can glance down and see the sands shifting beneath our feet. Almighty Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you prepare our hearts for covenant communion with our God. We pray right now in this very moment that we would not put our Savior to the test, that we would each of us drink from the same spiritual rock, that is, Jesus Christ. Dear Jesus, you have drawn us up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set our feet upon a rock, making our steps secure. You have put a new song in our mouth, a song of praise to our God. We cherish the heart for worship that you have implanted in us. May today, all day, be a pleasing aroma unto you. In all God's people belonging to God said, Amen. Amen. Please rise with me now as we worship the triune God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
each Sunday, each Lord's Day, as we are called and in, called into the presence and and to join together, we come before the Lord and we pray and and we prepare our hearts, and then it's our desire to render an exhortation. And as I thought about that exhortation this morning, I thought about a thing that happened a few years ago that sets up the, the, the message of the exhortation I want to give you this morning. It was a few years ago, um, I was driving home one evening after work at the, at the rescue mission. The radio was on and a news item was coming across my radio talking about a closure on the Narrows Bridge. A distraught woman intentionally smashed her car into the guard railing and stopped in the middle of the immense span of the bridge, jumped out of her car and ran towards the edge of the bridge to the railing, purposing to jump more than 300 feet into the dark and cold waters below. Four people immediately stopped and reacted, preventing the woman from jumping. The woman was held in the arms of these citizens for 20 minutes until police could, could arrive she was experiencing a home foreclosure and other things, and the woman kept muttering and repeating, I'm just a mom, I'm just a mom, I'm just a mom. So at that time, years ago, as I sat down, when I originally uh, thought about these things and, and um, penned these thoughts, the woman was very much on my mind, this soul. And as well on my mind were these four citizens. They had put on my, been put on my mind, and I closed my eyes, and I do my best to understand, even to feel what's going on. I consider the state of the mind of a person who reaches this depth of hopelessness, a hopelessness that would cause them to consider suicide as the best option, and then follow through with that. It grieves me through and through, I have experienced this up close and personal twice in my immediate family. So my reaction to suicide is always a deeply sad one. So as I close my eyes, I turn my thoughts as well to those stuck in the traffic jam created by this terrible situation. I can imagine the thoughts of some who are perturbed at the inconvenience to their commute by some poor soul unintentionally including them in their desire and attempt to end their life. Sadly, those thoughts are not necessarily rare in this world in which we live, and I must confess to you that I've been caught in a stow or a, or a traffic jam on I-5 myself and not considered the cause for the traffic jam, but only what it, how it affects me and my, my own personal timetable. But, there's always a but, and it's so important in our lives as Christians. Certainly the Bible has these holy buts in them that... that, that bring things into a focus that's more proper and as we look through the lens of, of the cross. But it's the four citizens who intervened in this drama that I eventually focus upon. It's their convergence upon this scene and their part in the prevention of just another American tragedy that prevails upon my thoughts. I think it natural to lay my thoughts upon those that intervened in this poor soul's plan. For you see, I, like you, like you all, am a Christian and worship and serve the creator of this universe, the incomparable one spoken of in the first chapter, chapter of Colossians, specifically verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I no longer believe in coincidence. This intervention was providential, and I like to think that hope was instilled in this woman through the grace of God working through people reaching out. I imagine myself even clutching this woman and whispering in her ear, Sister, you can know peace through Jesus Christ. As I thought this week about our gathering each Lord's Day to, to worship our majestic Creator and Savior, I also thought of this incident and remembered that I had penned my thoughts concerning the convergence of souls at the rescue mission. But presently, today, the convergence is every bit as real and fundamental here at Christ's Covenant Church. We are a body that dwells together to worship our God, to prepare ourselves and one another to be presented as a spotless bride of the groom, the very Son of God. We are a body of hands to reach out in a dark world and place where a multitude of people are muttering, I'm just a mom, or I'm just a dad, or I'm just a teacher. Here at Christ's Covenant Church, we see a convergence of people who are bonded together by love and care for one another. We come from all walks of life, each with a different set of gifts and skills that lend to an infusion of hope into people in need and who may be desperate. The Bible is very clear in describing the great commission and great commandment from God Almighty. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. The convergence here at our fair church is no coincidence. It's all part of the plan of God. In Matthew 5, verse 16, our good shepherd tells us, Let your light shine before men in such a way as they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. As we desire to be the hands and feet of Christ here in this desolate land, here in Lewis County, Washington, it's vital that we completely prepare ourselves to be covenantally renewed. So as you are able, would you kneel with me before the throne of the King for a time of corporate and private confession of sin? Please rise for the assurance of pardon. The Lord and giver of life in Proverbs 28.13 tells us, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. People of God, you have humbled yourself in faith. Now hear this good news and believe your sins are forgiven in Christ. All right, our sermon text this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 17 through 24. These are the words of God. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness." Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, which is living and powerful. Father, please use your word and the preaching of your word now to cut us open, to lead and direct us, to feed us by the power of your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated.
as we continue to make our way through the book of Ephesians, we come, we're starting to get into the really particular, practical things that Paul, is, uh, that Paul lays out for the Ephesians. Um, Christians, and this is something that, that comes up in uh, this book to, or this letter to the Ephesians quite a bit. Christians have been called out from being dead in their sins. Uh, the Greek word for church is ecclesia, which means simply called out, the ones who have been called out. So the church is the called out ones. What have we been called out from? We've been called out from being dead in our sins. We are like Lazarus, called out from the tomb. Jesus says to Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus obeys. He comes. He comes back from the dead to obey his Lord. We are the same. We are called out. The church are those that are called out from being dead in our sins. Not because of anything good in us, but simply because of the grace of God calling us out. We've been given new life in Christ. And yet, having been called out, it doesn't take long before we realize that there is still much work that God must do in us. We've been called out, we've been raised to new life, and yet we are like the Israelites, delivered from slavery in Egypt, and yet sometimes desiring to return. If you're familiar with the story of the Israelites, they, they um, leave Egypt, they're delivered out of slavery by Moses, they walk into the wilderness, and then they desire to go back. They desire to go back to Egypt because there are trials in the wilderness, because they're not sure that God's going to provide for them, even though he provides for them through miracle after miracle after miracle. We are like the Israelites. We sometimes want to go back to our slavery. We have been called out from sin and death, and yet in our flesh we still want to serve that old master. We still want to go back to that master of sin. This is what Paul talks about quite a lot in Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7. And so here in Ephesians, having beseeched the Ephesians to walk worthy of their calling, chapter 4 verse 1, Paul shows the antithesis between walking as a Christian, between walking in Christ and walking in unbelief. This is something that Christians need to keep present in their minds because we've been called out of one and into another. Are we walking in accordance with that calling? Christians have been raised to... Uh, 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 let me back up here. Uh, my, what I'd like to do this morning is give a brief paraphrase or walk through the text. So if you have your Bibles open, follow along with me through this section in Ephesians chapter 4. And then we'll spend some time unpacking different aspects of it, particularly focusing on this analogy that Paul uses in this passage of the old man and the new man. So first, if you look with me, chapter 4, starting in verse 17, Paul um, has made known to, the, to these Ephesian Christians that they have been uh, given new life, that they've been called out of their sins, that they've been raised to new life in Christ, and so they ought to walk worthy of their new calling. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, Paul says in verse 17, This I say, therefore, saints must no longer walk like the unbelieving Gentiles, who, still dead in their sins, are guided by futile minds. Futile means unproductive, producing nothing good. Okay? The minds of those who, walk, who are the Gentiles, not just by their ethnicity, but by not being part of God's people, are walking in, in futility. Their minds are futile. Their minds are producing nothing 
worthwhile. They are ignorant of Christ, and they are blind or hard in their hearts toward God. Some of your translations may say that um, in verse 18, their understanding is darkened, they have been alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Or your translation might say because of the hardness of your heart. The word can be translated both ways. So these uh, unbelievers are ignorant of Christ, blind or hard in their hearts toward God, and because of this, their understanding is darkened. They are separated from the life of God. Verse 19, they have become so calloused, so past feeling, that they uh, have given themselves over to licentiousness and sensuality. In the New King James here that, that I'm reading from, They've given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. These terms, lewdness and uncleanness, often in Scripture have a particular um, sexual uncleanness um, connotation. It doesn't always mean that, but it definitely has overtones of that. Sexual perversions of all kinds is what uh, these... Uh, these futile minds, what these people have given themselves over to. They work all uncleanness with greediness. Um, The word here is the same that Paul will use other places in this letter as covetousness. But I think in this uh, particular instance, greediness is a good translation because it makes it sound as though these people are striving to outdo one another in their impurity. They're, They're giving themselves over to lewdness, to work all manner of uncleanness with greediness. It's like they're trying to gobble down more uncleanness than their neighbor. They're seeking after it more and more and more, trying to outdo one another in their sin. And then we have the turning point in the text. So so again, just to understand the logic here, chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And then Paul goes into this digression, this sort of a rabbit trail, rabbit trail thought that he has about unity, which we've talked about the last couple sermons through Ephesians. But then he's coming back to that point. So I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And now verse 17, Therefore, this I say, that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. So walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And therefore, because of that, don't walk in the old ways. Don't walk as you used to, as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And then verse 20, but uh, Les gave a wonderful uh, exhortation this morning about the way in which we see these um, uh, interjections in the middle of Scripture all over the place, where the argument stops and it changes. We see that in chapter 2, where we have uh, the, um, the description of man being dead in his sins, led along by his own lusts, by the lusts of the world, by the devil, but God raised us up. But God made us alive in Christ. We see the same kind of thing here. Don't walk like the Gentiles whose hearts are darkened, who are alienated from the life of God, but you have not so learned Christ. Christians have not learned Christ in such a way that they would walk like the rest of the world walks, like they would walk like they, they did before they were saved. Once you have been saved, your walk with Christ looks different than your life did previously. No, Christians have heard him, verse 20, 
I'm sorry, verses 20 and 21. They have heard Christ, and they have been taught by Christ, or been taught in Christ. And because of this, they must put off the old man. Verse 22. This is the first thing that they have learned of Christ. Not just learned about Christ, but learned learning in Christ himself. Who is Christ? He is their Savior. He is the new man. And because of that, they must put off the old man. So if you look at verses 22 and 23 and 24, there's three commands here, or three statements that go together as what it means that Christians have learned Christ. There's three things. Put off the old man, be renewed in your mind, and put on the new man. What does this do? This uh, renewing of the spirit of our minds in Christ, putting on the new man, Paul says at the end of verse 24, it restores the image of God which they bear. Put on the new man which was created according to God. How? In true righteousness and holiness. Um, have you ever wondered what, when Scripture teaches us that God, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, that God created man in his own image, what does that mean? There's actually lots of different ways to understand it and study it and, and grow in our understanding of what it means to be created in the image of God. But here in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gives us at least a partial insight. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? One of the things it means is to be truly righteous and holy. Now, is that true of us? Of course not. Anyone here truly righteous and truly holy, don't raise your hand if you think you are. Everybody else duck. Okay? No, but... But in Christ, what, are, what is Christ doing? In Christ, we're being remade into the image of God that has been broken, that has been marred. We're like a bunch of um, godlike statues running around, but we've been defaced. We've been cracked. We've been broken. And what Christ is doing through us and in us is building us back up into the image that we were created for. So this is the text that um, we have before us this morning. And um, if you notice that Paul uses two metaphors in this passage, one is the, the metaphor that we're a little bit familiar with now in, in Ephesians of walking, that, that we're to walk according to how we've been called and not walk according to the old ways. That's the first metaphor. And then also, the second metaphor is he tells Christians to put off the old man. And, he, and the way that he describes this, it's, it's as though you're putting off or taking off stinking garments, Right? Put them off. Take them off. That's the image you should have in mind about this old man. What is this old man? It's these, it's these gross, stinking garments that need to be cast off. And instead, we're to put on the new man. We're to garb ourselves, to clothe ourselves with the new man, which is according to God. Um, and so the Ephesians, uh, Paul makes very clear that they must not live like they used to when they were still dead in their sins. You've been called out of that way of living, and so don't live according to that way anymore. Um, Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 4. He's exhorting these Christians to, to no longer walk in the way that they used to. Don't run with the same crowd that you used to. Um, and, they're gonna, and Peter says that they're going to think you're really weird for not doing it anymore. You should stand out. It should be different. Things should be different as you have been called out of your sin. But note here the ground on which Paul stands when he says this in verse 
uh, in verse 1, or sorry, verse 17, first verse in our passage. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. This is not Paul speaking on his own authority. He's giving this directive about how Christians are not to walk, speaking in the Lord, testifying in the Lord. He stands on the gospel, and as a prisoner of the risen Lord Jesus, he calls the Ephesians to a new way of living. Also remember Paul's audience. This is a very important thing to keep in mind then as we get into the rest of this passage. Who is Paul writing to? He's writing to the Ephesian church, or the churches in Ephesus. They are identified in chapter 1, verse 1, as saints. He's writing to Christians. He's not writing to those that need to be saved, on the one hand. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to those that have already learned Christ. That's what he says in verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. You've already learned Christ. He's reminding these Christians of things that they need to do. Christians need to be told and reminded again and again and again to no longer walk in the ways of the ungodly. Psalm 1 verse 1, blesses the man who does not walk in the ways of the ungodly. Why do, we, why do we need to hear that it's a blessing to not walk that way? Because we want to walk that way. It sounds good. It tastes good. It looks good. But scripture teaches us, no, blesses the man who does not walk in that way because you've been saved from it. It's all fake. All the goodness of it is, is vanity. It's fleeting. And it's disastrous for you. Don't walk in that way. Blessed is the man who does not walk in that way, but who is planted by the streams of living water. This is what Christians, Christians need to be told this again and again and again. Don't walk that way. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. The Ephesians had already learned Christ. The need to no longer walk is part of growing up and maturing into the knowledge of Jesus that Paul references in Uh, the previous passage in verse 13. This is what we're being grown up into, is this knowledge of Christ. This unity, with first and foremost, with Christ. We have unity in Christ, but we're also being grown up into unity with Christ, being made more and more like Him, and this is part of it. Now, there's one other thing that I should note here um, about this analogy that Paul uses about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And and it's this, the... um, the, uh, the NET Bible has a, a really helpful note uh, about the translation of this passage. I'm not going to go into the technical details of it, but simply put, the um, instructions in verses, if you look at it, verses 22, 23, and 24. Put off the old man, be renewed according to the spirit of your mind, or be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man. These, can, these things can be translated as imperatives, We've talked about imperatives before as we've walked through Ephesians. Imperatives are commands. These can actually also be translated as indicative statements. Okay? They, they actually can be translated like this. Uh, verse 22. You have put off the old man. You are renewed in the spirit of your mind. You have put on the new man. Okay. Now, in this particular passage, my, this, this is my personal Opinion. I think this is a better translation of the imperatives, having them be put off, put on, and be renewed. But I think it's, um, it, is, it would be consistent with the rest of Scripture to also translate it this way. You have put off. 
right? This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. The old man has been crucified with Christ. It already, it's already done. Your old man is, is crucified. You've been justified with Christ. The old man is dead and buried. Jesus rose from the grave. He, he took the old man into the grave and then left him there when he rose from the dead. So I want to, as we talk about this in this passage, I want to see both of these things as true. It's both of um, these, these things that you put off to be renewed and to put on. These are a reality for Christians. It's true about Christians already, but it's also a command to you as something to continue in. And this reminds us of the difference between justification and sanctification. Big theological terms, but they shouldn't be scary to you. Right? Justification simply is um, God raising a sinner from spiritual death and regenerating him. It's a one-time act where the sinner is, under the blood of Christ, declared to be righteous. That's what justification is. Sanctification is this idea that God works in us over time to make us more and more holy, more and more like him. So think of justification as a legal declaration that you have been made righteous, you've been declared to be righteous, and sanctification as an ongoing process of working that righteousness out. Now you've been declared to be righteous, but we look at ourselves and we say, yeah, but I still see a lot of unrighteousness. Well, our sanctification is God working out that righteousness through the rest of our lives until the day that we die, and he takes us to be with him. Scripture makes clear that there remains a war in us between our sinful flesh and the Holy Spirit in us. Galatians 5, Paul talks about this quite a lot. God is working in us to conform us to the image of his Son in our sanctification. He's not done yet, and so our sinful flesh that we've inherited from Adam still tugs at us, and we willingly follow. Right? The sinful flesh, the sinful nature in us often still tugs at us, and I'm going to follow it. I, I go along with it. This is this war that is going on in us all the time. The difference is, for Christians, is that we have been saved by grace. And that fundamentally changes the battle. In the first, in, before you're saved, there's actually not even really a battle. You're just dead in your sins. When you've been made alive, now there's a battle. Now there's a battle to be fought. And, and in, in Christ, Christians have an ability to say no to their sin. In Christ, you have the ability to say no to your sin. It's tugging. It's pulling you. You want to give into it. But in Christ, you can say no. You couldn't do that before you were saved. You couldn't say no. If, if somebody is, um, let's say somebody is a, a drunkard and they go to the liquor store and they're intending to go and get hammered that night, they go to the liquor store and, and he's not saved, right? He goes to the liquor store and he decides not to go get drunk. Is that him saying no to his sin? Actually, no. He's just giving into another sin. It's some sort of self-righteous, works-righteousness thing. But if he's not saved, it's, it's not a good thing. It's not a good work before God. If he's not saved, he's dead in his sins. Everything he does is dead. Everything he does is worthless before God. But a Christian can say no to his temptations in a, in a faithful Christ-like way. Christ was tempted. 
Jesus was tempted. And he's the only man who has been tempted um, in the extreme and said no. Right? Jesus, you think, you're, you think your temptations are strong. You've not been tempted with receiving the power of the world so that you don't have to go and die on the cross in order to get it. Your temptations are nothing compared to Christ's temptations. And he said no, and he is in you. Amen. Your temptations, um, we read earlier this morning in the meditation, no temptation has overcome you except such as common to man. Your temptations are not so great that Christ in you cannot say no. That you in Christ can't say no. And we lie to ourselves and we listen to the lies of the devil all the time saying, I can't help it. I can't stop. I just, I, I'm just going to give in. No. You're in Christ. You don't walk that way anymore. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you to say no. This is the difference. This is what we have in Christ. By the power of the Spirit, we choose to obey God and follow Christ, to walk worthy of what you have been called to. You've been called out of the grave. Walk like you're alive. Don't Stop pretending that you're dead. That's what a sin, When a sinner goes back to his sin, right? when a Christian goes back to his sin, what is he saying? He's saying, I'd rather be dead. I'd rather be dead in my sins. I was dead in my sins. I'd rather be dead in my sins still. I'd rather go back to Egypt like the Israelites. But no, it, um, we are called and we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, choose to obey Christ, to obey God and to follow Jesus. In our sin, though, man's understanding is darkened. And apart from Christ, it's completely dark. And this is why Paul says that the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Their understanding is darkened. We like to think that um, in post-enlightenment, in the last two, three hundred years, we like to think that man on his own can reason his way to goodness. We like to think that man can reason his way to, to um, social order, good relations between um, countries and nations, keep things at peace, that man can do this by his reason. But Scripture teaches us that rather man's uh, left to himself, that man in his mind is futile. His understanding is darkened. His thoughts are worthless, and he is spiritually lifeless because he does not know God and because his heart is hard. Put this another way. Sin makes you stupid. Sin makes you stupid. And we know this as Christians. We can experience this. When you're facing a strong temptation and you try to reason your way out of it, how does that go usually? Not very well. Usually you try to reason your way out of it, justify yourself and, and make it all work out, and you end up reasoning yourself into more sin. You can't reason your way out of sin. Sin makes you stupid. What we need is to instead give ourselves fully to the Lord. We need to, instead of relying on ourselves, rely on the grace of Christ. But man left to himself, instead of giving himself fully to the Lord, gives himself over to himself. Right? When Paul says that they gave themselves over to lewdness, 
What is that? It's essentially selfish, licentious pursuits. Pursuing whatever I want, whenever I want it, however I can get it. That's what man gives himself over to, left in his sin. That's what we are inclined, as saved Christians, when we're listening to the flesh, that's what we're inclined to do. Give ourselves over to ourselves, our own selfish pursuits. To forget that we are called to give ourselves to the Lord with all our might, with all our mind, with all our heart, with all our soul. We forget this. But, verse, 9, verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. But, but you are a Christian. You do have Christ in you. Having heard Christ and been taught in him, believers are to put off that old man. Believers are to be renewed in the spirit of their minds and to put on the new man that is in Christ. This is what we are to put on. We're to, we're to take off that way of walking because it doesn't define us anymore. It doesn't identify us anymore. It doesn't describe us anymore. We've been saved from that. Um, Paul in, Ro- in Romans chapter 6 um, says, Reckon yourselves dead to sin. Your relationship to sin should be such that it's dead to you and you're dead to it. That relationship is gone. Well, how can I reckon myself to sin that way? Because it's true. You've been delivered from it. It's no longer your master. Sin no longer has dominion over you, so stop acting like it. This is what Paul says in a number of his letters, but but this is so important for us to understand. We need to understand this objective salvation that we have, this objective justification that we've been given, this objective um, uh, separation and deliverance from our sin. If that's true, then I can, by the power of the Spirit, act like it. I, I can act like I'm not a slave to it. And that means I can say no to it. Christians are to be renewed in the spirit of their minds. Among other things, this means that the Christian life begins with the mind. There's a real sense, I think, that the Christian life begins with the mind. Not the mind in just an intellectual sense, but the mind as, as representing the way in which everything is processed. Everything is perceived as encapsulating everything. Saving grace affects absolutely everything. Saving grace affects your entire way of thinking, your way of processing the world, your way of making decisions, your way of speaking. Before we even get to the outward actions. And of course, all of those are affected by saving grace as well, but it begins with the heart and the mind. All of these things ought to be renewed in the light of the truth that is in Jesus. And, it is, and, so it, and because it is in Jesus, it is truth for all aspects of life, not just the religious part of your life. Um, C.S. Lewis said that Jesus is either Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. Jesus is either Lord of every aspect of your life. And again, I think this is what the kind of thing that Paul has in mind when he says that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. The highest, the, the highest faculty of humankind needs to be renewed, and it trickles down from there. This means that you can't um, uh, say that you're a Christian and that you follow Christ on Sunday 
and then get in the car and act like a pagan towards your kids on the way home from church. It means that you can't come in here and confess your sins and worship the Lord and call Him Lord and then leave and get in a fight with your wife on the way home. Christians don't walk that way. Except that we do. Right? We do. We do that. We call Jesus Lord here and then we go somewhere else and we act like He's not Lord. We forget that He's Lord. We pretend that He's not Lord. Jesus, don't look. But no, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And so when we do that, that, that's that war between the flesh and the spirit. I know that Jesus is Lord, and I do want to serve him, but I can't stop my mouth. I can't stop the way that I'm treating my brother. I can't stop that lust in my heart. Reckon yourself dead to sin. The first step is to acknowledge that, no, I am Christ's. I belong to him, and that changes everything. It changes the way that I view my brother when he's ticking me off, when he's being really annoying. It changes the way that I view my husband when he's just not listening. It changes the way I view my wife when she is nagging me. It changes everything. You are in Christ. Sin no longer has dominion over you. What does this look like in practice? One thing that we see right away that Paul emphasizes here is that there is a twofold action in our dealing with sin. When we have some sin that we are beset with, some sin that you can't shake, some sin that you continue to give yourself to, repentance is not merely stopping it. Of course, that's the first step, but it's not merely stopping The sin, the old man, must be replaced with something else. I remember a, um, a professor in college was describing this kind of thing and, and used an analogy. For, it's just always stuck with me. Um, if I tell you in this room, don't think about a pink elephant, you're all disobeying, right? <laughs> right? You're all thinking about that. And the only way you can stop thinking about it you, well, you can't. You can't just stop thinking about the pink elephant. You can't just stop. You're still thinking about it. I know you are. How do you stop? You have to think about something else. Right? You can't just cast it out of your mind. You have to fill your mind with something. You can't just stop. The same is true for our sin nature. You can't just stop the sin. You have to replace it with something else. And so this is why Paul says, put off the old man and put on the new man. The sin, the old man, must be replaced with something else. Using Paul's analogy here of put off and put on this idea of um, clothing, it's not a question of whether you will have garments on. You're going to have garments on. But which ones are you going to put on? And in order to put on the new man, you have to take off the old man. We have to spit out the foul so that in Christ we can pour in the sweet. And on the one hand, this is simply the principle of repentance. This is, this is what repentance looks like. Um, you've probably heard this before. Repentance is not simply turning away, but it's also a turning to. We turn away from whatever it is that we're worshiping in our sin, which is always ourself. We turn away from that and we turn to the Lord Jesus. 
We turn away from sin, from that which God hates, from that which violates His holy law, and instead we turn to Christ. Turn away from that, we turn to Christ. So on the one hand, this put off and put on is simply that. It's just it's a description of repentance. And at the same time, it's also a, a method or a tactic of repentant living. And this is where I think, this, this is why this comes up in this section of Ephesians. Paul's about to get really practical. Now, if you just look ahead for a moment, verse 25, he's going to dive right into this whole idea of putting off and putting on. And he starts with, put away lying. Okay, we've gone from these great, grand, foundational, doctrinal principles of chapters 1, 2, and 3 in the beginning of chapter 4, and we're about to get into the really nitty-gritty stuff. Chapters 4, 5, and 6. But it begins with understanding this put off and put on. This is how Paul's going to deal with this and how he wants Christians to deal with this. So this is a tactic or a method for you to embrace on a day-to-day basis as you fight against the sin that remains. Sin isn't reigning in you if you're in Christ. It's, you're no longer a slave to it, but it is remaining in you. There is sin in your life that you need to repent of. Here's how. Christian living means daily putting off the old man and putting on the new man. So what do you need to put off? What do you need to put off? Do you need every morning to get up and get on your knees and put off your anger? Because every day that is your struggle. That is your fight. And maybe you've not been fighting. But you know that you need to and you see the way that it's hurting the people around you. Do you need to get up and get on your knees every morning and put off that anger? And then put on kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, trusting in Christ in the midst of those circumstances that get you angry. What do you need to put off? Do you need to put off laziness? Are you wasting away your time on social media? Hours and hours, binging on Netflix. Just simply not doing the tasks that are right in front of you because you'd rather do something else that isn't important, that isn't what you're called to? Are you neglecting your children because you're lazy, because they're inconvenient? Well, then you need to get up every morning and get on your knees and put it off and put on thankfulness for what God has set in front of you to do. And what's interesting about this is as as I've studied Scripture and I've studied the way that um, Paul especially talks about sin, it's almost always contrasted with at root, thankfulness. It's almost always contrasted with gratitude. And this is really clear in in Romans chapter 1, which in a lot of ways, there's a lot of parallels between Romans chapter 1 and this passage that we're looking at. But one of the things that Paul points out is that uh, those who have rejected God do so in ingratitude. Those who do not worship God, those who are idolaters, are idolaters because they would not worship the Creator as God, nor were thankful. That's what Paul says. Your sin is always idolatry, and therefore your sin is always also unthankfulness. It's always rooted in that. It's always rooted in pride and and selfishness. 
and, and because, of, because it's rooted in pride and selfishness, that means you're not being thankful to the one who created you. You're not giving honor to where honor is due. And so in all of this putting off, foundationally, one of the things you can always put on is simply thankfulness. So what do you need to put off? Do you need to put off looking at porn? Do you need to put off your drunkenness? Do you need to put off that habit of lying? Even those little, those little lies that don't really matter, that, you, that they just happen. You can't even stop it anymore. Do you need to put that off? Do you need to put off your gossip? Your way of speaking behind people's backs? Do you need to put off the way that you disrespect your husband to your girlfriends? Do you need to put off the way that you uh, are, are not living with your wife and understanding? Put these things off. But, you, but if you just put them off, it's just going to come right back. If you want to put them off in a way that actually matters, in a way that honors God, in a way that um, is part of your sanctification, then put on Christ. If all we do is put off, then like the demon in Jesus' parable, our sins come raging back stronger than before. Kids, do you need to put off disobedience to your parents? Do you you know that if you are in Christ, you can get up in the morning, and you can get on your knees, and you can pray to the Lord and say, God, give me strength to obey my parents. I want to put that on, and so I'm going to put off these stinking clothes of my disobedience and my disrespect. And God, I want to put on obedience and respect. Do, kids, do you know you can do that? You can come before the Lord Jesus every morning and beseech Him to help you grow in these things. And what's, what's crazy is I can say that to the kids and ask them if they know it, and most of the adults in here need to hear the exact same thing. Do you know that you can do that? Do you know that you can get on your knees every morning for that sin that you cannot get rid of? And you can get on your knees and you can ask the Lord to put it off. And then by faith, you put it off because it has been put off. It has been buried in the grave. It, in the grave. it has been paid for. And so put it off. And if we don't put off the sin, but we only try to put on the good works, the, the faithfulness, the thankfulness, if all we're trying to do is put it on, we don't actually put off the sin, it's just a thin veneer of works righteousness. It's like covering over rotting meat with a nice, clean napkin. That's what your thankfulness is if you're not actually dealing with the sin, if you're not actually repenting of it. It stinks. No, victory over sin comes from this twofold motion, throwing off the dirty rags and putting on the pure robes that Jesus gives. Putting off and putting on are some of the primary works that God has set before us to walk in. Remember, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, you've been made alive in Christ. You've been saved by faith, or by grace through faith. And yet, you've not been saved by your works. And yet, God has set before you works that you need to walk in. One of those primary works that you in this room need to walk in is this action of putting off and putting on. You need to walk in that every day. But this is done having heard Christ. This is done having learned Christ. It is done in the knowledge of the love of Christ. We spent time talking about this in chapter 3. Hear this just again. 
This is Paul's prayer for, his, for these people. He prays that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height of what? To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. His love for you is so great that you can't even begin to comprehend it. He loves you, you stinking sinner. And he's clothed you in robes, in robes of righteousness. He's given them to you. So every day, you are called to walk worthy of that calling. Not because that's what's going to get you to heaven, but because you're going to heaven. Amen. So put on these robes. Cast off the dirty rags and put on these robes. But this is done in faith. This is done because you know that Christ loves you. This is done because you're putting your whole trust in him and him alone. We repent and we believe every day like we did when we first believed. The the, the Christian life is one of coming to Christ every day. You don't come to Christ when you're saved and then that's it. You're off. No, you come to Christ every day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation that we have in Christ. Thank you for delivering us from the bondage of sin. Father, teach us daily to reckon ourselves dead to our sin. Teach us that since you have put off the old man in us, that you have buried it in the grave, that we should continue to put off our sin and to put on Christ. God, this is hard. So we need your spirit to to lead us in this. Grow us up in this day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. In our worship service, every week, we see this pattern of putting off and putting on that Paul describes, that we saw in the, in the sermon text from this morning. We come here on the Lord's Day because God has called us, because he has already put off our old man. If you're coming here as a Christian, you're coming here because you've been called to worship God. Why? Why have you been called here? You've been called here because he saved you, because he's already put off that old man. That old man was crucified with Christ, And we are already in Christ, in the new man. We gather because we are Christians. And yet, we still like to put on the old clothing. We still like to put on our sin. And so, when we come here every every week, we must put it off again as we come into God's presence. This is our confession of sin at the beginning of our service. But we don't come and put off that sin, confess our sins, and then leave and we're done. No, we stay and we put on praises. We put on the Psalms. We put on giving of thanks and tithes. We put on the Word. And it all culminates in putting on Christ here at the Lord's table in the bread and the wine. So mixing metaphors a little bit, come to this table hungry to be filled again with Christ because you have been putting off the old man. Come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Here's the charge for you this week. What do you need to put off? What do you need to put on? Put it off, put it on, but remember that for believers, this is both a reality, this is what is already true of you. The sinful nature has been put off, and so put on Christ, but it's also a practice, and so practice it daily. Put it off and put it on. So hear now the words uh, from Ephesians chapter 3 for, your, for the benediction. These are the words of your Lord. 
Now to him who is able to exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.